called Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Oh, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Um. All right, man. So that was a great transition, and you mentioned at least four of the the looter shooters that will come up in this conversation. So let me just set this up very quickly. So, you know. Quick plug, as I've mentioned um, on this on this podcast for sure, but I've also mentioned on other podcasts that are not related to video games but are related to nerd cultures. I don't know what it is, Ethan, because I'm not more interested in video games than movies or comic books, but for some reason, men, women, old, young, video game, if they're good, video game podcasters, so you've got the, so, you know, on the one hand, you've got the Dodger... <clears throat> TB, rest in peace, uh, Jesse Cox, completionist, Alex Fassiane, um, you know, Sam Strippen, like their whole group of friends, um, and uh, they all work in the same office. So that's one crew that I love. Watch either Twitch or, or their, you know, the Co-Optional podcast. Then you've got the Schreier um, uh, split-screen podcast um, with um, uh, his buddy Kirk, who I don't know Kirk's last name. He does still do the Kotaku podcast, but he doesn't work there full-time anymore. I think he's pursuing a music career, but he still does the podcast. And um, they just added um, fairly recently a woman who was a good friend of theirs who does work at Kotaku, Maddie Myers, who's excellent. And then I listened to um, what I think is by far the best of the three in terms of like it's a two-and-a-half-hour podcast where, first of all, they give you a great table of content, something I'm always promising and fail to do. So hopefully they'll get better at that if you want to skip around. But they have so much meat, and they just come off as, like, totally normal chicks who happen to just play a lot of video games and know what the fuck they're talking about. And they're so followed that they can literally do a podcast network with multiple pod- – they have daily podcasts. They have one that's once a week. They have one that's twice a week, you know, special once a month. They inter- They just interviewed the God of War guy recently. They've interviewed the Tomb Raider people. I mean, you know, they get all the stuff from all the people. They have a million followers online with What's Good Games. Uh, Brittany, um, who goes by Blonde Nerd, Andrea Renee, um, who also works for PAX, um, and Christine Steimer, and they're amazing. And Ethan, it's very interesting because they definitely are friends with Schreier, um, uh, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot lot of cross-pollination, um, but... There is a division. Oh, I did not even mean to do that. There's a split between the Kotaku split screen people about which are the looter shooters they like and the ladies from What's Good Games about what they like. I do want to point out that it's just because by the very format of being, even though you have tons of social media presence. Because you can block people, um, and on Twitch you can have, you know, mods and administrators and so forth, it's actually easier f- – the, the, let me put it this way. I have said that there's, there's not a lot of Dodgers out there, but there are still a lot of cool chicks who do this stuff. But because you can moderate it pretty well, and, and these pe- people who are very technologically savvy – in terms of nerd culture, nerd women involved with video games have a much easier time than nerd women trying to do a Star Wars podcast or a Marvel or DC podcast or so forth. There are, there are reasons that are obvious that that's the case. There are reasons less obvious. Some I know. Some I speculate. Some I don't know. But, like, if you dropped on this planet and knew nothing and you listened to the What's Good Games podcast – 
You would think women were totally equal to men in every way possible, and there's no sexism or anything going on. You listen to a female Star Wars podcast, it's extremely defensive all the time. Um, I, I, you know, you don't like to theorize about social stuff, so I'm not going to make you do that. I just want to point out that I'm enjoying the fact that there is a lot of gender diversity, at least among podcasters and Twitchers who are women, which is great. But even the women of the What's Good Games podcast love uh, Division and now Division 2 so much, they have it as the best looter shooter out there. They have it above Borderlands, which they have above Destiny. So they've got uh, uh, Division, then Borderlands, then Destiny. If you go to Schreier and his people, they love Destiny. And Kirk has been very outspoken about hating the Tom Clancy right-wing political vision, which I share with him, you know, of killing, you know, colored people around the world as white soldiers from America. It's pretty disturbing. It seems like they could do realistic scenarios uh, involving, um, you know, Splinter Cell or Division type, uh, you know, spy thriller shooter stuff without having us be the hegemonic power all the time. Call of Duty obviously also does this, but Clancy is known to be a right winger and his games always have a right wing tinge. So it's possible Kirk is influenced by that, but him and Tri are, are like you. They love the shit out of Destiny 2. Now they also love Borderlands, um, but it's just interesting to see that split. You know, I think a stereotypically, again, if you knew nothing about it and you heard the descriptions, you might think the men would like uh, Division 2 more than the women because of how testosterone it is compared to the other games. But that's not indeed the case. Now, you mentioned Anthem, which is new and still getting its legs underneath it. And, um, you know, I, I think you're right really quickly. I'm going to throw it to you that Anthem will get its legs underneath it eventually, like No Man's Sky, like Sea of Thieves, etc., etc., etc. So, of those four games, are there any other looter shooters you want to throw in? And obviously, you have Destiny at the top. It's your favorite game. How would you, um, you don't have to answer this right now, but like, of those four and any other looter shooters, how would you rank them in, in terms of, of what you like and give some reasons uh, why? Uh, it's a Destiny's at the top. I, just, I don't need to explain that one. No. Um, Borderlands would be the next. I mean, you are a Destiny's child. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. Um, <laughs> Ethan, I'm not even acknowledging. I'm just. I'm just not going to acknowledge. Ethan hates the joke. me. If I if I don't if I don't acknowledge it, it'll go away. Ethan hates so. me. No, I'm I'm the kid that the more you ignore, the more annoying I get. Go ahead. I should use that tactic on you. Um, <laughs> you are constantly. <laughs> time, to, time to double the, the output. Um, <laughs> so with, with Borderlands, Borderlands was the game I played before Destiny. Borderlands was really like my palate, like my, like my palate cleanser or my palate taste tester before uh, playing Destiny. Uh, it's also how I found the streamers that I watched today. And how I enjoy uh, just and have Twitch culture in general. It's just like how I would kind of like revolutionize to the the gaming scene on the web. And so, uh, Borderlands was like a whole new experience for me. But it was also uh, something that I could play on my cheap computer, and it was something mm-hmm. that gave me hundreds of hours of content. Because that game, uh, while 
story is not every, something for everybody. I do enjoy story in my video games. And while the Borderlands story is not like a, a transcript from heaven, it is a substantial slice of the game, and I do care about it. And it is it, w- it was a very enjoyable part of the game. Um, Can I quick interrupt the, with your permission? Sure. About Borderlands. Sure. Although you can you can say you want to table this until um, later. Let me just throw it in the stew. You can answer it now. Can a g- bo- great Borderlands game be made without the birches? I just want to throw that out there. Don't know what has been made yet. What is important for me, what, what Borderlands reminds me of in today's age where we have these live service games that are always online, we can't play split screen with each other, there's not that feeling of group effort in the same way that we used to have back when playing couch co-op. Borderlands is one of those games where it hits home in that sense because Borderlands is there's no there's no there's none of this multiplayer crap there's none of that none of that it's just a flat out video game making fart jokes at you while you're sitting on the couch shooting sure. radioactive t-rexes and it hope it drops a super rare weapon right that like, like borderlands is a is a reminder of some of those games from the past and it fully embraces not only itself as a video game which is one of the brilliant things about it but it also just helps it just helps us connect to the game and engage in it fully. And so unlike the other looter shooters, Borderlands excels in its ability to be extremely personal. Because I can deep dive into Destiny's lore and be like, oh my god, this is so cool, what's going on? But that's not like personal on a level where Borderlands is personal because it's a connection to me and my friends, but also while experiencing a video game. And also grinding 500 hours and not going outside the entire summer. But, you know, that's, that's totally obsessive point. Um, so that, that's kind of why I put Borderlands at, the, at second place. Mm-hmm. And as far as the other three, Division is just a no, no contest at number three. Because, one, I don't own nor or, or slash play uh, Anthem or Warframe. Uh, respectively. So, uh, obviously, Warframe is free. I have never once installed and played Warframe, so I can't comment personally about how it fits in that structure. What I can say from a just current standpoint is that it's just straight up Warframe has made significant strides to help define the looter shooter genre, and I'm very thankful for that because every content update for Warframe is free. Everything about Warframe is free. It just comes down to the fact that it has microtransactions in it, and that is just that's just an automatic no-go for some people. Um, and so I would love to see a time where they kind of maybe start to... I, at one point in the past, I know it was a little aggressive on the microtransaction stuff. I would like to know... like I, I think it's in a really good spot now, for the microtransactions uh, in Warframe, I hope that they really like downplay it even more so than they ha- than they do in the future. Because one of the things about that game is that the community, like if you thought the community for, like, I always rave about 
the desk. Yes. And I always hear I that always as do. well. Warframes community is like that, but to the next level. Hmm. Like they are so supportive of their development team and so supportive of that game. Anybody who's ever played a free to play game knows that when it has microtransactions in it, which almost all of them do. When, if you get invested in a free-to-play game, you are infinitely more likely to spend money through microtransactions on that game um, if you hadn't bought it for $60 at release. It's, you just infinitely more likely are to. And that's, that's how, that's how, that's how, um, what's their frame? Uh, Digital Extremes. That's the studio behind War, uh, Warframe. That's how they make their money, is that they get people invested because they made a great product. And people spend money on the microtransactions. And honestly, I'm totally okay with that type of uh, system in the gaming world today. It would just be nice if EA and Activision saw what Digital Extremes did with their product and followed suit with it, because then I wouldn't have so much of an issue with the microtransaction products that are in uh, big publishing games, publisher games, which is one of the things that makes... Division, and then hopefully it's someday Anthem very good, is all of their future content is free. All of their DLC updates are going to be free, um, which is one of the things that I'm very proud of for Ubisoft because they're, I've said it before, they're trying to turn their ship around. They're doing a very good job of it. Um, and I hope EA eventually sees the light in that. They're slowly taking baby steps towards that. They just need to see that in their earnings and then they'll actually turn that around. Um, so Anthem's at the bottom of the list for obvious reasons. They can't get their shit together. Um, and they just have microtransactions all over the place and they're not even bothering to, they're, they're, they're doing a very poor job of managing not only their community, but also just the way that they're PRing the, the game. Like it, it's just not good. It's not good. They're, they're going to need at least a year from now, if not a year and a half, to really start to get legs to stand on. Sorry, anybody who likes Anthem. You, you're going to need. You're going to have to wait a year for that game to get really good. Ask me how I know. I play Destiny 2. Well, if, peop- <clears throat> if people are willing to wait that much or longer for No Man's Sky, which is a very, very, very untraditional game that requires a certain personality to enjoy it, whereas on paper Anthem is... <laughs> I think more accessible to the masses if it nails everything people will wait a year if that's all it is for Anthem do you think that's all it is is a year knowing EA with this game it just seems here's the so so here's the thing with Destiny the game wasn't broken they just had to like revamp all of their systems and put it into the game. And they knew exactly what it was. They just had to rebuild their f- structure and put it into the game. Because they had they had taken the structure down. Instead of making the mine shafts with uh, solid steel, they're making it with wood. And it's just not it's nowhere near as effective for keeping a mine shaft stable. Um, I'm not sure if that's a good analogy or not, but I tried anyway. Um, <laughs> with Anthem, with Anthem. The mine shafts already fucking collapsed. Like they gotta, they gotta, they gotta dig. They gotta reopen the shaft and then rebuild it. So like, 
it, 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 that game's going to take a lot of work. That game's going to take a lot of work. And I'm not sure how they're going to put out these updates. Because I feel like they're just going to break more of the game by putting out their free up their free content updates. So we'll see. Like that that game, I feel like it's going to take a year and a half, reasonably. If it's not ready in a year and a half, that game's just done. Like people are not going to stick around because by then we're going to see the next thing and the next thing and the next thing yeah. and the next thing, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's just not it. It's just not condu- it's just not conducive. It's just not conducive. I mean, like, to, 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 to making a good product, EA, EA, like, if I was EA, I would, uh, like, right now, I would be taking every available game developer I have and throwing them at Bioware and saying, you have all of these grunts. Fix the problem. Like, they, don't, they do not have time to spare. They don't. They don't. Even the Division 2, which is having an amazing rollout, the the Onions AV Club has a great article from a couple days ago entitled, Division 2 is great. Wait, no, I just started playing Sekiro again. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I was a thousand... Look, Ethan, I'm trying to give you big props and me being wrong, at least once a podcast. You nailed me with the Halo thing, which I was totally wrong about. But you know what I was more wrong about with Sea of Thieves. I can't believe that Sea of Thieves is both better and still being played by a lot of people. Well, what we started talking about that game, what, a year and a half ago when we started this podcast? So, And I ripped No Man's Sky, so I don't know at this point with these online games. I, I am no longer making predictions about them. I will maybe make predictions related to the studio. For example, EA, not trusting them. But you know what? My friends who love Star Wars really like Battlefront 2 at this point, and they keep releasing awesome content. I think, even though I love Star Wars, every time I start trying to play Battlefront 2, I'm like, I would rather be playing Destiny or Call of Duty or something because the shooting mechanics suck in that game. The space, you know, fighting still sucks. But even with Battlefront 2, EA's done everything possible to make up for its horrible release, the loot box controversies, you know, by giving... I mean, they just released, like, the entire Clone Wars, which for the deep dive nerds from Star Wars, like, is the thing that they love the most is the Clone Wars, you know? Right. You can play new, cooler Anakin Skywalker. You can play Ahsoka fucking Tano. Like, even I get geeked out by that. So I am done predicting. And and something that you and I did agree on early on in our podcast, though, man, was that in this world... this era major developers with big online games that have promise get at least two releases right from the public mindset right and so the question Mm -hmm. is will anthem get only a second chance when will that be and will that be enough now i I mean even one of the girls from what's why should it's come girls i don't mean girls condescendingly one of the women from what's good games actually is enjoying anthem and she sees a light at the end of the tunnel um but they tend to be very positive about games, a little bit less critical maybe. Uh, but she likes it, and she sees a light at the end of the tunnel in a way that she definitely said is not the case with the Fallout. She definitely said was not the case with 
Hmm. What am I missing? There was another one she compared it to. Sea of Thieves. Maybe. Um, so what, what do you think about this? You know, I, I'm not going to fight that they get a second chance because if they give you everything free and updated and cooler after you've paid your money and you get eventually what you pay for, I don't have the patience or money for that shit. So I waited a year and a half. When did Destiny 2 come out? 2017. Okay. So I waited uh, two years and then I get the you know ultimate forsaken collection with all of the major expansions and the game you know dozens of hours of gameplay after everything's been fixed or, or a lot of things have been fixed it looks amazing that's just how i operate i wait i'm not sure you, you know like apple but let's put it this way other than video games the only technology company that has like an insane irrational amount of early adopters as they call them is apple like even I am an early adopter of Apple, stupidly. Like, I will download updates immediately, even before I see stuff come in. I've just been trained by Apple, and I love my Apple products. But, like, other than Apple, like, you, know, you don't see, like, you know what I mean? Like a cult version of early adoption. What is your view on early adoption, by the way, of these games? Whether it's Anthem or Sea of Thieves. Do you think it's the same kind of people? Do you think it's different per game? Do you think there's a certain age or personality? Totally speculative or based on people that you know or stuff that you've heard about? Like, who are the people who are like, yep, I'm throwing my $60 down now, and I'm hoping that this game in a year, year and a half actually gets good? So nobody says that at launch. If you hadn't pre-ordered the game and then you found out it was bad, no one's going to spend six hours and say, oh, I hope I hope this game is good in a year and a half. It, it, it mostly comes down to games like Destiny when it first launched. It's being made by Bungie, guys. Holy shit. It's, it's an MMO made by Bungie. Uh, uh. Like, like, that's the mentality. Same thing with Anthem. Bioware. It's got the Bioware name on it. How can it be bad, right? So you would say that about Fallout 2 as well. It has the uh, Bethesda To name. a certain extent, right. Well, nobody thought that because it because it, was, it had the Fallout name on it and because it was made by Bethesda. Listen, Bethesda games are buggy, but they're not bad, right? That's, that's the issue here, is that live service games are this new medium, and no one has quite figured it out yet. But I think... Um, and I, I, earlier when I said like it's gonna be really hard, like, it's almost impossible and to turn, turn it around. That's true, but like you were saying, there is no live service game today that cannot be resurrected. And in fact, if you put it to the odds, eighty percent of them have been resurrected. Eighty percent of them, right? Eighty percent. Let's put it on. Let's put it on our hands. Sea of Thieves, Destiny, The Division. Uh, what was the other one? No Man's Sky. Um, Warframe, no man's, no man's sky. sky is out of live service, but but still, it's same similar idea. type thing. Same yeah, idea. yeah, yeah. And then you have Anthem. That's it's actually that's six, five out of six. That's actually what is that like seventy two? Whatever, you get the idea. Yep. Like th- th- that's actually most of them. So no no game is truly dead in this genre per se. Mm-hmm. There will come a point where this genre is going to solidify. Or what is agreed upon between both the consumer and those who are developing and publishing them. And I think we're slowly getting there. But I think like The Division, like Anthem, like Warframe, like Sea of Thieves, like all four of these, uh, Division 2, sorry, like all four of these games, studios and publishers have done, which is 
the content is free. That is the first lesson that they learned from the failure of Destiny, which is, and Warframe not so much because that was the whole plan to begin with, but the, fail, the number one failure with Destiny was we're not going to pay for the, the expansion that fixes the game. We're not going to do it. No, What consumer would do that? Think about that for a second. I spent $60 on this game, and now you want me to spend another $40 so I can yep. actually enjoy the game? Yep. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. What? That's insane. Mm-hmm. Right? So, And to be clear, uh, to be clear, the month about for the first two or three months that Fallout 76 was officially available, it was the best-selling game in the country. And to be clear, for the month that Anthem was released, which I guess is just ended, right? Or maybe it was a month and a half ago. February. So, February. Right. So the month that it was released, it was the best-selling game. So first of all, Ethan, mm-hmm. do these first-month best-selling numbers include pre-orders? Like, when do, if you pre-order, they charge you when you pre-order. They don't charge you on release, right? So that means that was still it the depend, best. It, de- it depends on the store. Um, okay, well, anyways, let, let me... Let go me, ahead, go, yeah. go ahead. I, I think it's a good question, but go no, ahead. No, no, yeah, you know where I'm going with that question, but it's too technical for us to answer right now. We don't know the answer. So what I'm saying is... I actually have to, I can actually tell you the TLDR now. Right. So what I'm saying is... It, Go ahead, go Even ahead. though, you know, Horizon just officially uh, cleared 10 million, which is great. As we've talked about, all the first person Sony games, and I think all the, all the uh, first person, all the first, uh, uh, all the in house studio games for PlayStation, for the most part, that do really well review wise and with fans are selling about 10 million, but it happens over a longer period of time. There's a giant hype train when a AAA company releases. Um, these these studio um, these big studio live service games people all jump in on it but how can I'm sorry ma'am being by let's say we, do you mind jump out to Fallout 76 I know that I'm sure. way ahead of the curve on calling Bethesda being shit but nevertheless having any experience with the bugginess of Bethesda and having any experience with games like Battlefront 2 or other failed live service launches, I don't feel bad for anybody who spends their money ahead of time and doesn't get what they want, and the headline about Division 2 is this is the cleanest best at release launch of a live service game ever which, by the way, Eth, does not mean it's going to end up being the best live service game ever, right? We need to be clear about that. But, but it, the fact that it's on, it, it landed and it's running, yeah, is huge. But no, but cool, because but that we with no, but I want I want to yeah, really on, hammer on. home this point because Civ Five still gets rated much higher than Civ Six anywhere you look on the internet. I, I'm only playing Civ Six at this point, but Civ Five is definitely more interesting overall, I think. But Civ Five, as you pointed out numerous times, was a complete fucking wreck unreleased and for a long time afterwards until many DLCs and patches the release of Civ 6 was mostly flawless and yet people are totally split on it so if we just ex- if we just use this example let's just say Civ 5 is better than Civ 6 that definitely was not the case on launch and so just because and by the way uh, uh what's his name uh skill up scroll up what the fuck's his name skill up skill up the headline is you know, this is the new standard for live service game releases, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's great. 
But if No Man's Sky took a year to a year and a half, and Anthem maybe will take a year, and all you know, and, and Sea of Thieves took a year, then we can't even make a judgment about how good this game's going to be in a year. But remember, remember when we you know talked about. Uh, uh, leading up to the Game Awards two years ago, and we said PUBG is the biggest thing, and there's other game Fortnite that's trying to, you know, make its way out. But obviously, PUBG is the one. And then literally two months later, we were like, okay, Fortnite is completely taking over, and now no one talks about PUBG. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, people are having a real bad short-term memory bordering on amnesia, both in being surprised that most of these games suck on launch, but also coming to the conclusion that a clean launch... It means a great game over time. Most brilliant people in this world make tons of mistakes before they get it right. That's the whole point of making mistakes, right? What, what, it, mm-hmm. in anything in life, Ethan, you know this. The best way to learn is not to constantly succeed, but to make at least some mistakes so you get better, right? I mean, it's true about video games. It's true about life. So maybe The Division 2 is so big and so popular and so acclaimed on release that it actually sits on its laurels and doesn't put in the work that these other live service games does and then ends up being not nearly as cool a year later as um, I believe, now I haven't watched the Jim Sterling video for it, but his headline is very um, telling where he says, um, oh, did you watch the video for this? I did. I, 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 yeah, I listened did to you, it. What, what did you think of it? I, even though I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. He said it's a good game. He said their structure is good. I wish they didn't have the microtransactions in it, but it's a good game. I don't like it. I, I don't play it that much because I, I, it's not my type of game, but... It, 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 that's what he said. It's, it's like, oh, he it's said like, it's, this is a good game. Yeah, he's, he said it's good. Yeah, he said it's good. There are things that be improved, but it's good. That's what he said. He basically. said it's compelling and it's tedium, which I'm not really sure what he means. I think what he's saying is it's good, but so, it's so, tedious. So, 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 what he's saying is, is that for the looter shooters out there, it's what we wanted. This is what we wanted for the looter shooters out there. Mm-hmm. He, I, I would not describe Jim Sterling as a sh- looter shooter person, not in the same way that right. although say, he likes I Destiny, am, or but yeah. say, well, he likes Destiny, but Destiny is probably the most casual of the looter shooters. He likes Borderlands too. I know that he likes Borderlands too. Well, who doesn't like Borderlands? That's the thing. <laughs> hipsters, <laughs> hipsters who said they loved it five years ago and they're ahead of the curve and now are like, eh. Yeah. That's everything. Um, okay, well, I'll have to. I'll have to watch it. Um, can I ask two related questions to Division Two that'll take us into the last couple topics here? I guess we might have to save. Um, we'll, we'll end on Switch because um, we've gotten through most of what I want to. One of the questions is a, is political, and one of them is or just about politics and games, and one of them is about Ubisoft. So let's start with the politics real quick because Jim Starling did a couple videos on this in the last couple weeks. I mean, Jim Sterling is openly um, hates political correctness, right? I mean, that's his whole thing. But he's also very, very, very liberal politically. But he is friends with and does podcasts with and talks with people who are not very liberal, who, who are equally politically incorrect but are not liberal. And his view on this is completely confounding and impossible to understand. So I'm just going to give you mine, which is... I am totally fine that Call of Duty and The Division and all the Tom Clancy games are basically, um, you know, right wing, uh, right wing militant, uh, mil- militants' wet dreams come to life. 
essentially, defending America, the homeland, against all the evil people in Russia, Africa, and the Middle East, and so forth. I fucking love the, 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 um, the modern warfare games, but you literally are taking on the Russians, the Middle East, the Africans, you even invade Brazil at one point, you know? And so, like, I can separate between it, and they're not openly saying, like, vote for Trump, vote for Trump, but the Division 2, all the Jim Clancy games, and I've read Jim, uh, Jim Clancy, all the Tom Clancy games, of which I've read his books way back in the day, were great his early books the movies were awesome patriot games and stuff like that great movies i can separate between sort of this you know nationalistic fantasy of america versus the world it's interesting to see it in a live service situation and whether they will complicate things like maybe they're going to introduce a a dlc or expansion for the division where the good guys aren't the good guys and actually the president is the evil one that's never going to happen in a tom clancy game but at least they could do it um do you think this should eat this is personal opinion you don't have to give your politics at all but do you think that it should be on the minds of developers of these games like the political implications of it because on the other side you have the anti-social justice warrior people hate on games like horizon and bayonetta and like any game with a female or, or ethnic protagonist gets ha- gets hated on you know by that crew or whatever um and, and i don't know that developers are really thinking about this and maybe the, the division is a corrective the same way donald trump was a corrective to much of this country thinking that there was too much left-wing craziness going on with obama so let's vote for this other guy it's possible that the division is tapping into you know the fact that many games these days are very inclusive are very woke so to speak um i don't know this is all very confusing and interesting but like let me just ask you the straight up question that's a little bit more coherent than what I just said, which is, is your understanding that The Division, more so than most Tom Clancy games, are, is a political statement of any kind? Or is this just a genre that's been around forever and so they're sticking with the genre? Two things. So part, part, part of Jim Sterling's videos is just this incredibly just naive and just dumb interview. And listen. Yeah. No fucking shit a corporation put a gag order to its fucking executive producers and develop and head developers to not make any pol- to say the game makes any political statements. No fucking shit they said mm-hmm. that. Okay? Of course the executive producer and the head developer are not gonna say it, it, with this interview that Jim Sterling cites, of course they're not gonna say anything about political statements made in the game. Of course. So I'm not going. I'm not going to go ahead and criticize these employees for taking orders from their producer to not make it to make these statements. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Here's what I will say. Okay. Me personally. Yep. I feel like we're all looking into this a little too hard. Yes, the Division Two, obviously, is a Tom Clancy game, and thus it brings in a lot of influences from Tom Clancy's books. But it is not a word-for-word Tom Clancy story either. Right. Okay? It had direction. It had a totally different system applied to it and it was written in a different way than Tom Clancy would have written it himself. Mm-hmm. At the, at the end of the day, to me, I treat the Division game – and I played Division 1 so I can speak on this. I haven't played Division 2 obviously. But it, here's the thing. It's an it's – an, it's, it's like an action movie 
that you're playing a video game as. Right. And I understand. I understand that like the, the, the things that are being hinted at here, but you need to treat at a certain point. We need to treat. We need to treat fiction like fiction. Yep. And 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 reality and the real issues that we treat in reality as reality. Right. Like like, if you think that the division two is making a political statement, great. Don't fucking buy it. It's as simple as that. If you don't like the if you don't like the fact that they are hinting at these things mm-hmm. in their game. Don't fucking buy it. Sure. It's a video game. Sure. You will get over it and you will be fine. Sure. Here's the other thing. Though. It, 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 it just irks me because it's the, this, this is the thing. And this is, this is just how I view it. Personally, yes. like I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a whatever liberal, whatever you want to call me. Okay. I'm a liberal. I'm an independent. I'm a Democrat or whatever you want to call me. I'm, a le- I'm, I'm on the left for sure. No, <laughs> this is this is the this is the story they wanted to tell. This is the story that the game inhabits, and it's the same thing with people getting upset that Link can't be a female in any of the games because that's not how uh, the director wants Link. The Link doesn't want they, they don't want the director doesn't want Link to be a female in his game. Can I jump in? Great. On the, can I jump in on that real quick? Sure. I, that's a great example, and I've been beating the drum about being able to play Zelda. However, there is at least two ways of looking at that. One is social justice politics. For me, I just love playing female characters, or at least having the ability to play female characters. So that has more to do with, it just seems like they would reach a wide audience, although Breath of the Wild has sold, what, 30 million copies? So I guess people don't really care. So some of this, I guess what I'm saying, Ethan... Forget what their politics are, or Tom Clancy's politics are, Ubisoft politics are. I'm just talking about money making. Like, would it be so hard to have some of the bad guys be white? Would that really make the game worse by having some white bad guys? That's by the way, dude. By the way, that, and that's, they, they do. That, they do. Yeah, I understand. That's exactly why Modern Warfare, even though Modern Warfare One starts with this long extended, you know, guy bombing. Iraq, the ultimate bad guys in Modern Warfare, and in a lot of the Call of Duty games, are Russians, essentially. Russians are the easiest to pick on because right, they're historical enemies of ours, but racially they're not different, and they're not a, and, you know, and they're not a third world country. So the Russians are the easiest to pick on. Um, I'm, I'm following everything you're saying, so you, I just wanted to throw right. that in. Keep going. It, it, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The... the, the to, to me, it's being totally propelled out of the water, and I I, I, I hate I hate pointing these out, but, but just 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 with just with outrage culture in general, and I, I hate using this as an excuse, but this is just the way it is. It, it, things are being blown out of the water here. To me, and I, admittedly, I don't like rocking the boat, so that that that, that that's something I want to disclaim here. I don't like rocking the boat here, but. To me, it just seems like people are making a big deal out of something that doesn't need to be made a big deal out of because I understand that it seems very pointed at the idea that just because there's a bunch of hoodlums or hoodlums and they have they have weapons and they survived and they are the ones that are causing the big trouble that they are the issue that the game is trying to say that they are the issue and that this and that and several of the trailers for example um said the one it, it, it was like it was uh it was uh what was it uh, oh it was um 
it was it was explaining like the opening like curtain for the story for the division two and it was like those who those who survived had the guns like listen it obviously that is there's two ways to look at that you can look at that as that's a race that, that that's a politically motivated statement by saying guns are a good thing and good control is bad or you can look at it as this is the reality check of the situation, and that is in this dystopian future where a money flu, the modern-day Black Plague, has literally shut down America, those with a firearm had an inherent advantage over others. It, there's two ways to look at that. And to me, I'm going to look at it the latter. That, 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 that's just how it is to me. It's a fucking video game. It's a fucking video game. Yep. Um, that, 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 that's just that's just the way I'm going to look at it. It's a video game. Yep. And the story they wanted to tell is the story of people who had guns had an advantage. And guess what? That little story detail then doesn't it, it, it has implications, but it doesn't mean anything in comparison to what the rest of the game wants to do. The rest of the game is about you shooting people who want to beat up innocent civilians and taking their guns and getting better guns with them. That's the, what the rest of the game is about, guys. Like at, at some point, at some point, people need to learn who the real villain is, and a video game is not it to me. Yep. That that, that that's what I'm gonna say on that. Okay. You, you, you got you got you got to band together to fight the bigger baddie here. Okay. Um. So two more quick things related to this, and then we'll end on Switch news. Um. One is Ubisoft. Um, and you know, recently I I took a few months off from doing tons of podcasting. I've done a bunch in the last few weeks, but up until that point, I hadn't done a lot for other than a couple with you from like November to beginning of February. So I went back and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts from back in the day. Um, and also listening to some of our earliest podcasts, um, to get a sense of our progression of opinions and ideas over time. And um, even though I've consistently shat on Bethesda, although I have praised their storytelling abilities, but but as as a production development studio, I've shat on uh, the development side, Bethesda. I obviously shit on EA, um, you know, and and some of these other companies. You shit on 2K. I mean, we've got our companies we like to shit on, right? Which is fine. Ubisoft, I've gone back and forth on, both in my real life and listening back on the podcasts, um, partially because... I've always wanted Assassin's Creed to be great. And I want to ask you, Ethan, why do you think there are so many people like me who have been playing Assassin's Creed since 1 or 2 and are always complaining about it but are always excited for the new one? Now, I will say with the stipulation, the consensus is Origins and or Odyssey are much better than anything come before. And I've started a new campaign in Origins, and I gotta say, dude, as fun as it is to be a pirate in Black Flag, it's very samey after the first six to eight hours. So I did all of, um, um, are you in Cuba there? I forget if you're in Cuba. No, you're, are you in San Juan? No, you're in Havana. So in all of Havana, then I went on the high seas, was a pirate for a while with my ship. That's like a mini game. It's not even a real game. And then I got to a new island, and I was like, I'm kind of done with this. So then I went to Origins, and I'm like, wow, this is so much better. It moves better. The stealth is the best it's ever been. And I looked up some videos online, and some of the people that I follow, had I looked back at when Origins released, 
and then also when Odyssey was released, and people are, are, are you know, finally saying they're getting the right idea with Assassin's Creed. You not being an Assassin's Creed guy, I'm just curious, is this related to what we were talking about with the people who love the live, the live play um, games? The, um, the, uh, um, the, um, uh, yeah, live play. Um, the, the, you know, live service, live service yeah. games. Is it similar in that it's just a genre that people like me like? And so we're always going to give benefit of the doubt and just hope it gets better. And, you know, that we've, for example, live service addicts finally got the Division 2, which is great out the gate, which is going to be my final point, which is a comparison with Destiny 2. We'll get there. So is that is that the same with me that I played Assassin's Creed 2 and then I heard the ones the few ones after that weren't great but then I heard Black Flag was great and so I or, or decent and I got that and then I got off the train and now I'm back on with Origins and I'll probably get Odyssey. Um, is it a similar thing in that like people have just genres or types of gaming experience they like and so they're rationally or irrationally going to give benefit of the doubt to this stuff? Um or or something else. I'm just curious because I am not alone <laughs> among all the people I follow, from Felicia Day to Jesse Cox to the What Culture English nerds. Everybody is like on board with the fact that like we want Assassin's Creed to be awesome, even with Breath of the Wild, Zelda, uh, 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 Horizon, Witcher, all these great other games out there. We still want Assassin's Creed to be great. My theory before I throw it to you for your theory is Assassin's Creed is specifically a lot more superficial from a story standpoint and sometimes you just want to stealth and murder and stealth and murder and find loot and stuff like that. I guess it's not so far from a looter shooter in some ways, in a meta way now that I think about it. I know any theories about uh, Ubisoft and, and the fact that Far Cry and Assassin's Creed keep getting more and more tries from people and it does seem like they're on an upward trajectory. It certainly seems like Ubisoft has gone back to its roots mm. at the point where it, it, it where they were they, they had that phase where it was we need to make money because that's what all the other publishers are doing. Let's cash in, yeah. And then it got to a point where they just said, "Our games aren't being bought. What are we going to do?" Right? And they, they they made significant turnarounds, and I think one of those turnarounds was Rainbow Six Siege and how they they took a gamble. And they said, let's let's fix this game up, let's get it working, and let's make these big updates free. And and for a lot of and for let's make a lot of this content free. Let's make the new playable characters, you can get them in in-game currency, so you can play the game and still get them, or you can pay money. And uh, Ubisoft is the most fair of the of the bigger publishers for their uh, add-on content charges. They are the most fair, I would say. Um, now, that's not to say they're good. That's just, that's just to say yep. they, 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 they offer a lot more versus what the other guys would do. Yep. Um, and by the way, real quick, just to add on that, part of – one of numerous reasons people are – you know, more into Origins and Odyssey is while there still are cosmetic things available, it's funny. I think it's almost a, do you know about the Origins thing? The reveal about, uh, so the, the title card, I haven't even gotten there yet. It's like three hours into the game, supposedly, when you finish all the intro missions and you leave the initial village, there's the title card for the game. And then apparently like a storefront literally pops up. 
just as they've intro the the main part of the game, tell you know offers uh, cosmetic. Uh, loot box stuff, but then literally never shows itself again. And you actually have to go into a nested menu. It's not even in the main menu. You have to go into a secondary menu in Origins to get to the loot box stuff. So I kind of think that was just kind of a gag slash we're going to try one time to get people to buy stuff and then stop. There's been a little bit more with Odyssey, but I agree with you. They've been more fair and less, way more less in your face. I mean, even the optics of Battlefront, they make the opening, and this Hearthstone is the same way. The opening of the loot box is so cool to watch. It's like opening a present on Christmas over and over and over again, you know? It's very manipulative psychologically and visually. I agree with your analysis on that. Keep going. Um, and so, I, I quick disclaimer on Assassin's Creed. Like, you were saying, like, like, I've, I've heard all these things about some of the other games after I played two. By the way, I have personally played three. I've played all of three. Um, but that's it. Um, from what I understand, everybody likes a different Assassin's Creed game. So that, that, that that's a unique thing to Assassin's Creed. But uh, and, and so, and so, so some of the stipulation on that runs different things. Like, I played three. So I, when I first played it, some people were like, oh, I hate three. And then Many years later, now everyone's like, "Oh, I loved three. Three was great." Um, so I mean, like, it, it, it totally depends. That's on so who funny! I've just been which, seeing those headlines all over the game place. is good. Sorry, I, which, it, it, this hasn't three. No, no, like, yeah. No, you're right. Uh. Like, like it, it really depends on who you ask. Which Assassin's Creed game is good or bad? So um, that, that that's just a quick disclaimer on that. But I think I think with with Ubisoft, they they got to a certain point where they like, they're like we need to like we, we need to like get back to our roots in the sense that we were all about making good games, making an iteration of a game a better version of of the previous ones. And with Assassin's Creed, obviously, that got to a certain point where it was like, eh, like what is there actually new here? I'm just going to explore another little town with another added on splinter to the storyline that they kind of shoved in there and this and that and after uh after unity which was a god-awful failure which to be fair they tried to do something new which was yep. make it make a co-op make it assassin's creed co-op yep they tried it didn't work i have heard side note i have heard that whether they're ports or slightly different games that the PSP and or PS Vita Assassin's Creed games were pretty decent. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that w- they would work amazingly on the Switch, by the way. Um, even if Well, they are porting 3 to the Switch, so maybe one day. Maybe I'll have to borrow your Switch again when that happens. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I've been seeing those same headlines about 3. You know what? I, I, I answered my own question while talking about this with you, which is great. And, and this is, again, why I blabber sometimes is because... I'm a very vocal person. You know, Bizzlecasters, you may not know this, but before big podcasts, either solo ones or big podcasts with guests, I sometimes do a dry run where I literally do 20 to 30 minutes of talking to myself to get ready. Like if I have a person on who's like a very, very special guest who's like a big podcaster, I don't want to sound like an idiot, 
and I actually um, also record myself uh, like when I'm I'm working on two books right now. As soon as I finished a rough draft of a chapter, I then record myself reading it and listen to it because I'm just such an audio person, Ethan. And so this is what happens to my podcast is sometimes I interrupt or go on too long because I'm actually putting this together as I'm think as I'm saying it. As what I was saying before that I think is is that Assassin's Creed type games are my looter shooter. It's just it, it's a mindless thing with slight variation that gets slightly better and different over time. But it's not—it's not the sort of emotional involvement or 150 hours involvement of a Horizon in a Witcher, where I want to be a thousand percent present. It's like me playing the old Dragon Quest games or I Am Setsuna, uh, whether it's on my portable device or my PS. Right? It's just like something I can zone out on and not have to worry about too much. Um, does that? I, I mean, you love looter shooters. Is Destiny just your favorite by far, or is there something experiential, mentally relaxing in a way, when you're not like doing a major raid or something, you're just fucking around? Was what I described with Assassin's Creed, open world, you know, stealth type games, does that describe you as just like games that you like and are familiar with and can kind of zone out even while being stimulated, if that makes sense? I think if Anthem and Destiny had swapped spots when they were created. Hmm. I would be saying the same thing about Anthem. Again, assuming that it gets at least 80% better, right? I mean... 100% better, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But do you think that's a good explanation of why... Because, again, the people I mentioned who talk about Assassin's Creed all the time, Jesse Cox, Felicia Day, etc., tend to be open-world game nutcases, you know? And so they play all the open-world games, just like I play all the good open-world games. The fact that I wasn't able to get through Zelda mostly has to do with lack of time and um, just, you know, not not being able to give the commitment or time um, to... Uh, um, uh, to put into it. This would be a great transition to end with Switch, man, unless you got anything else to say. No, I mean, it's it's just... It, Ubisoft is... It, like, I'm, I'm actually excited for Ubisoft because I feel like in the next two years they're going to solidify themselves as... Especially if Bethesda keeps digging their own grave. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, they'll take Bethesda's spot and Bethesda will go down a spot. So... Uh, as far as like ranking on like good developers slash publishing, so I'm I I, I we, we 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 criticize EA, Activision, 2K all the fucking time, mm-hmm. and I will continue, and you will continue to criticize them, at Microsoft, like, like whoever else, all the fucking time, until 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 they get it right, because. I don't. I don't seek for them to do bad. All I seek is for them to give me a good product. So, word. Um, <clears throat> yep, I hear you. Um, but I think. Would you agree with me that of all the studios you mentioned that we shot on, throw in Bethesda, and then you add Ubisoft between two pretty good Assassin's Creed games? And let's be honest, man. Most people who like the these. The Far Cry games have been pretty happy with the last few Far Cry games. Really like Far Cry 5, right? Um, and The Division 2 is doing amazingly so far. It seems like of all the studios we've mentioned, Ubisoft is the one headed the most and the fastest in the right direction. And by the way, right. dude, it should be mentioned, you and I know this, but it's not always clear. 
I always praise the studios that the, the small studios that are owned by. Uh, this will be a great transition to the Switch and, and Zelda Two, Breath of the Wild Two, or whatever. Um, I always praise you know uh, the Sony studios that are under Sony, like Naughty Dog, owned by them, but operate mostly independently with stu- with Sony's oversight. Everything in Ubisoft is in house. Okay, so the Division people, the Far Cry people, and the Assassin's Creed people are all in the same offices sharing ideas and technical stuff. And so when things are going not great with the games, it's probably because there's not enough separation in division in, in the in the in the um, studio, right? But when things are going well, like the last few years, it's because they are starting to have synergy in the studio, right? I, I, I can't I can't comment on that specifically. You did know that though, um, right? That Ubisoft does not have sub studios for the most part. Like even right, I did know that. Yeah, I did know that. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know how their game design structure works. Yep. But that 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 that's possible. That's how they do it. Sure. And we should also point out one of the most innovative, cool, and loved um, Nintendo Switch games in the first year of the Switch was Mario Rabbids, which was produced right. by Ubisoft. So. Let's head to the that, that's a good that's a good jump into um, yes. Nintendo Go. because we can so well, can we talk about Zelda first because this is pretty that's big. Good. that's it that's exactly what I was Woo! doing that's exactly what I was Go. doing so earlier this week we got news or earlier this month we got we got a, a Nindies direct which is just all about in uh, indie studios working on um, games and we got huge news from um, Nintendo that. They are they are making a game with the developer of Crypt of the Dance Walkers, I think is the name of the game. Um, okay, but uh, they're they're working with the developers of that game to make a cadence a game called Cadence of Hyrule, which is a spinoff of their game, but with the Zelda IP and Zelda characters. So this is the first confirmation that we've ever had hmm. of a of Zelda of the Zelda IP ever being worked on outside of, speci- of specifically Nintendo. Including the shitty ones from the early 90s that were total failures? Get for a game. For a game. For a game. The Zelda failures. I don't count the Zelda failures in that. Those are animated disc games, which are barely classified as games. Uh, much I, I'm, just trying to be, I'm, I'm just trying to establish the technicality here, which is no, no, I, I, there I, have I, been, I unlike I Mario up until Rabbids, I believe Mario has never not been 100% a, a, a Nintendo right. game. So th- there is precedent for this, but it's shitty and we don't want to think about it or remember it, but there is precedent for this. Right. And so, and so this, this is huge because up until Rabbids, right, like most Nintendo products, with the exception of Pokemon for licensing stuff, wasn't done outside a studio. Right. Uh, or, under publish, or under publishing. So, so now that Zelda, the Zelda IP not only has been handed once off outside of Nintendo entirely except for publishing and literally just publishing, right? Now, we just got confirmation uh, within the last two days that Monolith Soft, which uh, co-developed Skyward, Zelda Skyward Sword and is the developer of the Xenosaga uh, series, uh, and they, they made Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and the other Xenoblade Chronicles games, is fully developing the next Zelda game. And not, not, not Link's Crazy. Awakening Master DX, not that one. 
Yeah. A new Zelda game. Craziness. So craziness. This is huge. Okay. This is huge. Can I can I parse this? Because this is fascinating. So mm-hmm. part of this is going to be stuff we know, and part of it's going to be speculation, and part of it's going to be somewhere in the middle, right? So, real quick, did you see this coming <laughs> at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. First part is speculation. Not for a main. Yeah. Not for a main Zelda game. Not for a main Zelda. Okay. No. Do you see this working like Mario Rabbids, where they give the studio pretty good autonomy, but they're still looking over their shoulder very much so? I'm sure Nintendo won't let them release the product if it's not up to their standards. But I'm, I'm saying during the product development. Now Ubisoft is a completely different studio that had nothing to do with Nintendo. And you know, again, this is speculation based on just how corporations work. You know, I said at the time there was no way that Nintendo wasn't over their shoulders. This this is a situation that's slightly different. But at this, but uh, forget about release. Like during the actual process of creating this thing, uh, optics wise or not, do you see Nintendo trying to give off the impression like we're giving them totally free reign? Because let's be honest, man. Super Mario Brothers might be the most iconic character in video game history, but Zelda is probably the most loved. And the fact that in a lot of people's list, Breath of the Wild, uh, um, Link to the Past, and um, uh, um, Ocarina of Time are either number one or in the people's top three, five, or ten games of all time... I think it's easily the most loved character for, for gamers, even while Mario's you know slightly more iconic, obviously, and came first. Uh, this is a huge step. So go ahead. I'm just yeah, asking I mean, for I speculation mean, on, uh, like, well, okay, I, yeah, go ahead. The, 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 the answer is I don't know about how what the inner working is going to be like. Like, right. are they are Pure they going to say you could do this or you could do that? Yeah. I think I, I think I, I think for certain we can say. Just like they did with Ubisoft, and we don't know that they did this specifically, but we could take a very strong guess and say yep. they didn't let them release the product yep. unless it was up to their standards. So we, we can certainly say for that. But I can say why they chose Monolith Soft is because, like I said earlier, Monolith Soft co-developed, or well, I say co-developed. I'm not sure what their specific role is, but they had a big play in developing Skyward Sword, and Monolith Soft is a very close partner. Of Nintendo, I don't think they're a subsidiary of Nintendo. I don't believe that uh, because I believe they're in Scotland? Question mark? No, no, no. That's just their voice actors. Um, mm. But they work closely with Nintendo. I, be- I don't believe they're owned by Nintendo. Um, hmm. And so they've handed them over to Monolith Soft because the Zelda team was probably busy working on Link's Awakening DX, the remaster, and they wanted to get to working on the next one. And so. Uh, because for a while now we've known we, we've we've known we've known that there has been a Link 2D team and a Link 3D team working in simultaneous uh, uh, operation as each other. So because one team was making a 2D Link, the other team was making a 3D Link. That's why we had Link's Awakening. Yep. Uh, uh, link. Uh, a link to the pa- or a link to between worlds. Great. Which, and then which I've been playing on and off. Is great. I love two D uh, Zelda games. I, I'm I'm thrilled that they're going to continue this because while it's hard, like all Zelda games, I keep coming back to Link Between Worlds because it looks amazing and it's super fun. Right. 
and it, it, it's it's also because people love both versions of people love both 2D and 3D yes. Zelda games. Yes. And so if they keep making both types, they make everybody happy. Um, hmm. And so that that's why you had Link Between Worlds before Breath of the Wild because the Breath of the 3D team was making Breath of the Wild, and the 2D team was making Link Between Worlds. Yeah. Quick, quick. And so and so. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yep. Point of order. Go ahead. Um, well, I wasn't able to get as far as I wanted. I never thought I'd beat either Xenoblade or Link to the Past. I'd like to take another shot at it at some point, probably when the new Switches come out and I can buy your your Switch used. Then I'll have another chance at those games. I liked both of them very, very much. But, but the problem I had was that they're both very involved games that are difficult. Well, in Zelda's case, is kind of difficult, and Xenoblade is just very complicated and a lot of brain power. And... So, I, but I loved playing it on the portable, you know, uh, uh, portably um, as opposed to on the TV. But, dude, I got to say, before, during, and after having your Switch, and thank you again for lending it to me and letting me have that experience, I'm still playing my 3DS. God, I'm still playing my DS doing my Chrono Trigger 100% run right now. So, that I, I you know... I, I I love the idea that just because they're giving us much better hardware with the Switch, it's not that much more expensive of a device, and it's going to be even more affordable when new models come out, that they give us games like Link Between Worlds. I was worried they weren't going to make games like that anymore because they're like, well, that's just, uh, you know, it doesn't take full advantage of our uh, power, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't sound like what's happening. I'm thrilled about that. Keep going. No, and it, it, that, that's exactly why yeah. like they have two Zelda teams specifically to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had similar setups for just Mario. Yep. For specifically Mario, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had like six teams working on Mario specific sure. or Mario Universe games. Uh huh. Right. Um, yep. But anyway. Um, oh, and so, just really quickly to add to what I was saying about the love of Zelda, the fact that. I've never beat any Zelda game going back to my childhood. There's a couple I've beaten with help from people, like back in the day on the, on the NES and, and SNES and so forth. But solo, I don't think I've ever beaten beginning to end a Zelda game. And yet it's still my favorite character and property of Nintendo. It just shows how great it is. And this is the perfect property to start spinning off into different directions, right? It's like... What, yeah. what, is, what is it for you? It's Link and then it's Fire Emblem, right? From Nintendo? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the only reason I, I I play way more Fire Emblem is I'm just way better at strategy games. Like, I am a, a well-above-average tactician with strategy games. I am not a well-above-average action-adventure RPG Link guy. Um, if I was a little bit better and the games were more available, side note, I don't know if you want to mention whether this is also hinting that they're going to port all the old Zelda games to the Switch is an interesting thing. But no yes, chance. it's that, no chance. it's that, um, uh, it's that, uh, Fire Emblem. I do love Dragon Quest, um, just as a silly JRPG. And then of course the two solo JRPG, uh, that I've loved are Chrono Trigger and, um, uh, Radiant Historia, which is a blatant, not only, it's not a ripoff because it's a blatant, you know, nod to and modernized version of Chrono Trigger is um, 
uh, is Radiant Historia, which again, I can't recommend highly enough, guys, on GS or 3DS, but also I Am Setsuna, which you can play on literally any system, and it's cheap, including the Switch. Or maybe it's not cheap on the Switch, which is... It was on sale on the Switch, yeah. Yeah, which is clearly, again, an open tribute and their own take on Chrono Trigger's uh, their follow-up system. Gear, their follow-up game, Lost Sphere came out on the switch it's also out on all the other platforms yeah and then they're having another follow-up title yeah that's coming out people, uh, this year on the people switch mostly well. really liked uh i am satsuna it's not good reviews for lost sphere it seemed like they went a little too um nostalgic on it but i but maybe they've learned from that and the third one will be cool but i am satsuna is definitely cool and i told you it's fun to watch on the big screen because it does look really pretty but it's that's the type of jrpg that is just absolutely perfect for the switch and i mean literally the game is so streamlined of the entire ps controller i believe only four buttons you use in the entire game you don't use l1 l2 r2 r1 you use like triangle x the move one of the movement sticks and that's it and that's goes to show you you don't need super complex controllers or even like controller schemes to have great games but back to zelda so this is fascinating to me so we could speculate all, all we like um, so how do you see this playing out? And like, why do you think if you, if they, they would, they would make this decision? It's not like they can't afford to do this in house. No, I think, I think, I think it's just a creative move. Just to um, shake it up a little bit. Shake it up a little. It's possible. This is just a total side project Zelda, right? Like we don't know what this is. It says a new Zelda game. And that just means a new project that could mean a remaster. That could mean a a totally new Zelda game. That could that could mean a spinoff. Like we we don't know. We don't know. And so um, I'm excited to hear what it is. I don't expect to hear what it is for a couple of years, at least one. So it's it's good. Okay. It's great news to hear. It's great news to hear. I wonder how Monolith is going to staff this because I know they're working on more content. Uh, not for Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but I think they're probably in early development for the next Xenosaka game. Mm. Um, so who knows? Who knows what they're doing? Okay. Um, um, other Switch cl- questions. Um, there's rumors there could be up to two new Switch consoles being announced. Thoughts? Great. Awesome. Do you buy it? Do you buy it? If one is a higher-powered version or a but if one is an advanced model, mm-hmm. as in it's better hardware, yes, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. So, just for the listeners, could you describe what the most? If there are two new ones, could you describe to the listeners the most likely scenario of what those would lo- look like and how different they would be from what we have now? Sure, I think I think there's I, th- I think a very plausible scenario. So, there's going to be an advanced powered one. So similar to how the 3DS, so think of the 3DS lineup. Um, the 3DS had the original 3DS launch, and then it had a 2DS launch, which was a more Game, Bo- Game Boy-styled, bread slice-style console that could play 3DS games without the, 3D, without the 3D gimmick, and it wouldn't be as big of a screen as a normal 3DS, but it would be significantly cheaper. Um, then you had... The new, in quotes, 3DS, I know, fantastic fucking marketing there, Nintendo, um, 3DS, which was bigger console, bigger unit, uh, or sorry, not bigger, 
Same thing. Bigger unit, bigger screens, bigger battery, better processor, better unit um, for more money. And eventually, as that unit came out, obviously, older 3DSs got che- uh, cheaper and 2DSs got cheaper and blah, 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 blah. And they had several different versions of these models, XLs, uh, 2DS XL, which I have, which is very good. Um, and so you have you have all of these, um, you had all these different versions of it. And so what Nintendo is probably trying to replicate is a similar model. Let's have a downpowered version of our console so it's very accessible and much cheaper much more likely to get someone to buy it in addition let's have a more powerful version so that the enthusiast can buy it and play of have a much better experience at the same time we don't lose any money because we're not going to make too many of them just enough so that people who want it buy it mm-hmm. um and it's, it's, that's just a good move that's that's just what everybody around the industry has been doing Obviously, with the PS Pro, the PS4 Pro, and the Xbox S and the X. So, uh, great. If Nintendo hops on board with that, great. That's a great idea. Because before before we had these innovations, we had, we, we had this issue where the Xbox 360 lasted for seven years. And when Moore's Law, with Moore's Law, and it was definitely still in effect in 2005, it the Xbox One, the Xbox 360 caused a lot of issues for the game development cycle uh, for its lifetime. And so did the PS3 because it was the same cycle. Um, but games like Dragon Age Inquisition, games like Destiny suffered tremendously because of that issue. So um, having having these mid, quote, quote, mid-cycle unit upgrades is very good because it allows developers to keep up with technology and still make better games and still have people enjoy them um to so have enthusiasts enjoy them so that it's great it, like, it's it's not it's a it's a it's just it's just a good choice it's just a good choice i'm super excited if it's true uh obviously nintendo rumors need to be taken with a grain of salt whenever they come out because nintendo can do anything it fucking wants to because it's nintendo uh, so okay. it's possible we get two overpowered systems and no wonder to price systems. That, that's just, obviously that's all speculation, but if we're looking into what, yes. I, I believe what you want to follow up with is what, what would they entail? Mm-hmm. Right. Can I give you one? And then first till you get it going. Sure. Sure. So the things I'm hearing are one, well, first of all, that you don't need a dock. Okay. This is an obvious one. I'm fine with the dock, but you should have the uh, ability to do everything with the dock without needing the dock. Make it even more portable on someone else's TV, right? I mean, right. that's a no-brainer. Okay. So they're selling they're, they're they're selling the dock for I think forty dollars a standalone dock. So if they cut forty dollars out of the transaction and make the switch just a standalone right. unit, that makes sense to me. In in the USB three or whatever they're going to use into an HDMI cord is not that hard. There's tons of people do that, right? So that's fine. Here's what I'm excited about. Oh, that that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. No. So you're saying you would still need the dock to play on someone else's TV? Right, because you need power and signal input. Okay, but you could create something much smaller than the dock to do that. You could have like a hub that would still whatever. In theory, yes. the The issue with um the issue with third party docks, since they're extremely cheap. Okay. They oh they're also they're also known to fry switches. Right. So, but, but I, I understand what you're saying, okay. yes. Okay, The thing I'm most uh, interested in is the following. 
I know these are mock-ups and none of these are official, but I've seen at least two designs of slightly redesigning the Joy-Cons to make them more comfortable. As you know, my biggest complaint was the weight to size to length uh, to grip balance was way off for me with this unit. And one of the mock-ups I saw is essentially just the Joy-Cons with a tail that make it look like the Pro Controller, controller. but the Switch, right? And you could even design it so that the lower part that sticks out to make it look like a normal console controller, you could even take that off. I mean, they've already pioneered the Joy-Cons and the, the Labos, right? There's no reason why you couldn't add a little plastic thing to the bottom so that you have a better handle on it. That would immediately help with the design. The other design, I've, the other mock-up design I've seen, which I think is less likely, but is interesting, because as I've commented and many have commented, while the PS Vita is inferior in almost every way to the, to already to the Switch, there's something ergonomic about the particular curvature um, and size and balance of the grip of the PS Vita and I, I, that would be another um, either option or a way or, or like there could be both options or one of the two, either of those two options to make the controllers more ergonomic and handle a little bit better and not hurt my arms and back and neck so much. I would be all about. So that's what I'm excited about. Also, com- some com- people are saying there's going to be a mini one. I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the mini one for for any reason. I think, keep selling the two DS XL. Well, you know, like why not? Although you because no one's making ga- no one's making games for no one's making games for it. Yeah, I guess That's I why. guess. And it's also it's all it's also even though it's updated, updated for its original design, outdated hardware now. You will be, like, you will be interested to know though that they are still selling at least hundreds of thousands of units a month of. Uh, 2ds xl hardware units so that's interesting but yeah the market research yeah but like that would okay well if, if you're really trying to phase it out sooner than later they're making the screen a tiny bit smaller to be a little bit more portable might not like let's put it this way if there is a mini it's not going to be like an inch and a half less screen it's going to be like and half an inch less screen but go ahead i think that i i, I think for the cheap switch the no dock version is just a brilliant fucking idea. Yep. Just, just straight up. Don't include. Don't. Sure. You, you, you just, you just include. Switch, tablet, yep. two Joy Cons, charger. Plug in the wall. That's Boom. It. Just like the 3DS. Yep. Right. That's it. That's all you get. Yep. You don't get anything else. Yep. And that that will save you. Let's see. If the dock is forty dollars and the grip extension, which comes with a normal Switch unit today, yep. is fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. That's that's fifty five dollars you save plus tax right. on a unit. So that's like, like that that's a reasonable deal. I see that being an option that Nintendo might sell. Can can I give uh, you one reason based on what we've talked about? The mini could happen, which is okay. Xenoblade is already too busy. The problem with Xenoblade is it doesn't look good on a TV, but. Well, it looks good handheld. There's so much information on the screen. Like, you could never play Xenoblade on an even smaller screen. You could play Breath of the Wild, I think, you know, in terms of the size of the character and the bad guys and the environments. Like, it's pretty, you know, 
well designed for, for really any size with Breath of the Wild. But if they are going to start doing 2D games, like 2D Zelda games, that would be what the games you would want to play. Or Mario 2D side-scrollers, or New Metroid, if, it, if they go back to Metroidvania side-scrollers. You could play all those games on a mini. The question is, could you play games like Xenoblade or Into the Breach, where there's tons of information on screen, and it's already a little small for me? That, that would be tough. Um, but, yeah. I think Personally, it would look something... I'm going to send you a screenshot of, over Skype of, um, of what I think it might look like. But keep going. Um, personally, I didn't have an issue with, Z- with Xenoblade on Portable. Again, like a lot of the issues you were running into with Xenoblade was a conceptual issue where you just didn't... Uh, it, it, the game is not... The biggest issue with Xenoblade is it is not good. It is not an exceptional game until after Chapter 3, which is a lot of investment to play a game and then not and say, oh, the game is not good yet, question mark? Like, I've been playing this game for a while. I'm not sure when it's going to hook me. Like, no, it was, it was too I, I much had, mental investment for, for what I was that, that's getting. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The conceptual stuff kind of disappears after 3, right. and it get, you just get hooked on the combat. I, I hear you. And so, I hear you. And, and so it's all, like, I got used to how it feels to, play, to use combat and Xenoblade, and so playing it on portable was no longer an issue after that point. Sure. Here is... Now I will uh, I will agree with you, like overabundance of information on that small screen is an issue. Into the breach is I borderline feel, hard to, to do. Yeah, that's why I feel that the that the uh, the upgraded version needs to get rid of those big bezels. Yeah, the bezels got to go. Know, if, those bezels just got to. If go. Apple can the do bezels, it, I don't know why Nintendo can't do it. It saves money. It saves money. That's why. Um. And it, it probably has something to do with heat dissipation as well. I know, but you get rid of those bezels, um, all of a sudden it creates a whole right. new visual experience. Right, because there is, for those who don't know and those who've never seen a Switch, I'm about to take my Switch right here and take a look at it. Mm-hmm. There is a good, I want to say, one inch on the left and right side of the unit on the screen that are that, that can... Like there's there's double bezels basically. There's the screen portion of the unit that has bezels, and then there's bezels for the actual outer part of the unit. And I believe fully that if they that the screen bezels need to go, and so there's about an inch on both the left and right side for the screen bezels, mm-hmm. and then there's about an, there's about a, uh, almost two and a half or uh, almost one and a half centimeters on the top and bottom. That can be mm-hmm. removed for the bezels. So, so there's yeah. a ton of space there that that could totally be reused for screen. Yeah. So I just sent you a, a totally fake but interesting mock-up of what the mini might look it, like. Yeah. And then if you compare it to the PSP, which like the PS Vita is very nice to hold, I, I think they're not going to make it smaller, but they need to round it out, get rid of the bezels, and just create a weight scenario where the controllers balance out the weight as opposed to making it uh, it's you know how we describe you can describe something as top heavy or bottom heavy the switch is side heavy the switch is very heavy on the sides uh-huh. because it's so thin and wide yeah that, that's what she Agreed. said yeah i think what they need to create but you have to admit that well. mini design isn't bad if they were going to do it so so here's so here's the number one question and th- th- this 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 solves this solves the whole issue if they do it yeah. right do they 
invert the right joystick, the, the right the right Joy-Con? Do they invert? Do they invert the right Joy-Con? That's what the PS Vita did, and it worked right. Nintendo N- Nintendo's philosophy is they they with this device is that it is an all-purpose device, and so one of the things that their design philosophy includes is that you can take the one controller out. You can give one Joy-Con to a second person, yep. and both of you have a fully-fledged controller that can work for whatever game you're playing if it's multiplayer. The question is, do you get rid of that design philosophy? And if, if I'm Nintendo, knowing Nintendo, they're not going to. And so, me personally, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to change the controller design. Yep. At all. Well, what's interesting is, you know, I've told you that even though the PS4 um, uh, DualShock, as you and I have talked about, might be the greatest console controller of all time. Um, it's certainly up there. Yeah. But for shoot for third person shooters, there is an advantage for the staggered thumbsticks, as I've said, with the Xbox controller. Now, if you look at the PS Vita controller I just sent you. There's no way that that should work with the thumbsticks being at the bottom. But because it's so rounded, do you notice that the 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 length to height d- d- dimensions is way more rounded and almost circular with the Vita versus the Switch? But you take the Vita, you get rid of that giant bezel, make that all a screen, and then have the rounded sides and then bring the thumb controllers down I, that's what I would do. I would try and m- m- mimic the PS Vita and just make it slightly bigger. And, and obviously, the Switch is a much better system. But I would mimic the the PS Vita screen. I mean, <laughs> just looking at the Switch compared to the Vita, like it's hurting my hands looking at the Switch compared to the Vita, which is so rounded and much more weight balanced. Because let's be honest, most people are playing the Switch a lot on the go, and you want something that's not going to hurt your hands, back, and neck as much as possible. So that would be my argument for that. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I personally agree with you. Mm-hmm. I would like to see these changes. No, they're going to do and it eventually. People, yeah. people... People have already made third-party options for the things that we both like for the Switch, and so that's nice that people are yeah. like really. And Nintendo's letting people have the the, the freedom to make these third-party options. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh huh. Here's the thing. I don't think they're gonna do it. Do what? I do don't. what? Change the controller scheme at all? I think they're gonna keep it exactly the oh, same. Well, you can keep the staggered thumbsticks, but to not balance out the weight is silly. It's silly. I mean, it, well, that, that, it was that, hard that to play Bayonetta for though. two seconds on it because that's, the weight that's was what's up. The weight issues—that's what's causing the weight issues—is the staggered thumbsticks. It's because the thumbstick. No, what's causing the, the weight issues the... is that it's way too long compared to its height. It's way too long. It needs to be a more rounded system. You get rid of the bezels, and then you actually increase the size of the joy, the, the height of the Joy Cons. So look. What's the problem? Oh, uh, no, I don't like that at all. Well, just listen to me. Well, dude, I'm listen, telling you, the PS Vita just feels better than the Switch in your hands. There's no question. I, I mean, I, I, sure, but it's smaller. I understand, but there's got to be a way to make it slightly more weight balanced than it is right now. I honestly, part of this might be make the screen way less and make the Joy Cons way more. 
Part of the problem is the weight balance. So it's super long, right? It's very thin, but then the Joy-Cons weigh nothing and the screen is all the weight. And so the weight's pulling down in the middle. And so it's actually putting stress on your hands and wrists as the screen pulls down and the very lightweight Joy-Cons just stay there. So they could actually, by getting rid of the bezel and slightly rounding the controls a little bit, like they could actually, like, I'm on the opposite side of the mini. I would make it a tiny bit bigger only in terms of the Joy-Cons because that would balance out the weight of what's going on. If they don't balance out the weight of this system, Ethan, I'm never going to be totally into it because I want to play this game as a comfortable thing. Yes. I have a clarifying question. So when you say make the Joy-Cons bigger, are you talking about the the whole scale bigger, just the thickness, just the length, what? I would pull it I would I would go up like a centimeter and out a centimeter. I, but I would so but I would also increase the, the weight of length them. Length and width out. Length and width out. I would make it more like the Vita, but better. So I, I is, is it is it still too are the controllers still to scale with the screen is my question. Is it still going to look like a retina? to a bezeled or, screen or to like the actual like what? Yeah, is are the are the controllers still going to line up with the unit itself, mm-hmm. or is it going to look is it going to look like a look? Is it going to have like a cat ear effect going on? I would actually make it look more like the PSP than the PS Vita. If you if you see what I sent, I mean there has to be a lot more designs. The PS Vita is a little too ra- oh, rounded. Oh, I see what you're talking. about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just so, balance yeah, it's, it's the like, weight. Got, In any like way you balance the weight, I, I would you. I would take. Yeah. I got you. Yep. Cool. Um, awesome, buddy. Which this was so, yeah. So what if finish what up if this thought and then we got to sign out because I got some stuff to do. Let's go ahead. What if what if what if they kept the scale exactly how it is, but they made the internals lighter? Right, and I'm actually suggesting making the Joy-Con slightly heavier, which balanced with the internals lighter would be a better balance. Nevertheless, <clears throat> I would, um, yeah, I would, I would, I, w- you know, you know what I'm talking about? Well, like length and width, I would make it slightly less wide and slightly longer. Um, because the mini, the mini mock-up that I sent to you already looks a thousand times more comfortable than the real unit. I mean, when holding the real Switch in your hands, it feels like a grocery bag that's a little too heavy, and you're carrying very, very slowly, hoping the grocery, the plastic bag doesn't give out because all of the weight is in the middle of the grocery bag. That's what it feels like. So whatever they have to do in terms of shaping it, I'm not an expert in this engineering. I, I, it's it, look. They've changed the footprint of the DS and the 3DS, 2DS, so many fucking times to think that they're not at least experimenting with slightly different dimension dimensionality. I, I think is you know is not the case. I don't know what will be the final product, how long it will take. But dude, I have to say, offering multiple models that it's not a mini and non mini, but are just slightly different shaped for different people. It, it wouldn't be a bad idea. And, and why give that all to third-party people or at least make it easier? But if you look at the dimensions of the PSP, I, if, if, you could, if, you could, if you could have the Switch and the PSP have sex, that's what I would want, essentially. Like, the, the child of that, engineering-wise. It's just more rounded. The weight is more balanced. You're right, the internals need to get less weighty, but they also need to make the Joy-Con slightly heavier to make up for the balance that would be my preference.
Sorry, fans out there. This is like the nerdiest conversation ever, but it is very important in terms of getting more people on board. Um, because if it's I, I, yeah, see, see, I've never, I've never had an issue with. It. I know, That's I know you've I've not. Never had an issue with the but weight. I understand that you haven't. But I'm telling you that I know many people that still think that the PlayStation portables physically have felt more comfortable than the Switch, even though the Switch is is brilliant in every other way. But I think now that they've had one generation of doing this, they can say, okay, maybe we put a little too much into making the Joy-Con slide in and out easily and then be usable for television and blah, blah, blah. And by the way, dude, if you can put legs on it to make it feel like the Pro Controller, then I say change nothing. Change nothing. If you can easily put legs on it to make it feel like a console controller, then change nothing. But if you're not going to do that, you have to round it out and balance it out. But this, I, I, I see them. I see them making an accessory to do that. Okay, they're fine. not okay, going to do right. that in the box. This is we're 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 we, we're we're too far on this topic, and and we, we need to close this up. So, any last thoughts about the switch, and then we're going to have to close this up and wait for. Let's see, this awkward controller's 10. Let's wait for awkward controller's 11 for some other topics. We did get a ton in. So anything else about Switch or final thoughts I'll give to you, and then we're going to close this baby out. Persona 5 DLC! (laughs) Oh my god, I'm such an emo, angsty Japanese teenager who wears tight clothing. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god, I didn't actually pay attention to the story. I'm just making fun of Ethan. Oh my god. I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of angsty emo anime characters. Alright, buddy. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um... And, uh, yeah, like I said, I I remain very positive about the Switch and Nintendo, even though I am not a Switch or a Nintendo guy. But it's clear they're headed in the right direction. And, by the way, to announce a new version or versions of the Switch before Xbox and PlayStation do would actually be a great marketing move on Nintendo's part, in my opinion. They don't care. They don't care. I'm not saying they care. I'm saying as an outsider looking in, as a PlayStation guy would be a smart move to upstage any Xbox or PlayStation announcement. So that's what I would Nintendo's do. Nintendo's waiting for the chance to merge with Walt Disney and they can merge with Coca-Cola to take over the world. Okay? Like, <laughs> let's, just, let's just, let's not worry about it. All right. And then me and Elon Musk will be leading yeah. the AI revolution. Okay. Like we don't, we don't need to worry about that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I predicted on the recent podcast that um, Disney is going to buy Dr. Who. And a number of BBC properties. So why not buy Nintendo? Sure. Let's do it. Come to the house of mouse, baby. Where we make people happy all the time. Except all those times we don't. <laughs> they canceled the, they canceled the uh, Universal Nintendo attraction. Uh, which I'm sad about. But, uh, oh well. Cool. Alright, man. I uh, appreciate you being on. You can check out Ethan at L underscore uh, Fedorable on the Twitch um, on everything and me is uh, the bizzle on the twitch and uh, I'm going to be streaming some Assassin's Creed Origins I really want to do a run through this game it's super fun and I'll stream some Destiny maybe uh, Ethan streams Destiny and you stream some Civ right no I haven't streamed Civ in a long I haven't time Civ. okay all right. Well, um, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Bizzlecast listeners. You guys have been awesome. I have been the Bizzle. He has been Ethan, a.k.a. L underscore Fedorable. And may the force be with y'all. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.